0: I can't tell you uh, when the last time was I wore a suit and tie to church. (laughs) And and so here's the thing, Um, I don't get to be with my mother today, but I believe my mother is watching right now, so what do you think? I'm asking asking my mother, I know. And I don't get to be with my mother-in-law either, and I don't get to be with the mother of our grandsons today, and so it's like our family is just kind of separated today, but so this is my embrace reaching out to my mother and the others that are joining us online, and I hope that you feel some love in that too, and it doesn't weird you out too much. (laughs) Um, But I'm very happy to see you today, welcome you in the spirit of of God's love and uh, how God shows his love to us through the gift that we call mother. More to say in just a moment. Um, I, um, I, the orchid has to be one of my favorite flowers. If you ask me, I'm not a flower guy, okay? But I think if I had a flower that I really love, it's gotta be an orchid. Um, actually, we've got 20 on our patio. I counted them, 10 on the trees in our backyard. We got more in the front yard. We got some inside the house. Before Easter, I gave orchids to three different friends who were having some hard times. They were going through some tough times, confusing times, you know, kind of difficult times. And I think the orchid is a beautiful, wonderful gift for challenging situations where they can seem confusing and not all that promising because so much of an orchid looks like that to me until you get to the blossom. And then, that's why an orchid makes such a great gift. Have you ever seen an orchid without a bloom? I mean, to me, they look confusing. They look very uh, distressed. They, They don't look all that promising. It's like this jumbled mess, and it can even be ugly at times. And sometimes, I can't tell if it's dead or alive. You know, just to look at it without a bloom, that's what it appears to me. And yet, why do I like them? Well, because... The bloom rises out of that. And then it just like shouts this kind of defiant beauty into the space which I love. That to me shouts hope and it reminds me of God's love and what God's love can do. From what appears to be a jumbled mess of threads of life and death all knotted up and confused, God brings this uh, glorious and intriguing blossom now, some of you know what I'm talking about because you've got orchids of your own. You love to see them. I love to see them. And then I learned this. You know, an orchid will hold its bloom three to four months. Come on. Now, that's a better gift sometimes than cut flowers because they last a lot longer. The orchid blossom. Why do I love them? The, um, the botanist Luther Burbank had a motto. Every weed, a potential flower. Now, I know orchids are not weeds, but without blooms, I'm telling you, they can sure look challenged. They can appear very weedly, right? Uh, Without a bloom, I'm telling you, you know, there's this ugly dry root system, and the leaves can cough up these weird things. And um, these are some pictures that I took just this week of some dry roots and some leaves, and some, I don't know what. We probably ought to move on to the next slide. Um, And yet from a distressed and troubled situation, what I take is this kind of bold, defiant beauty in the midst of all of that mess. And it gives me hope. I love that. Why? Because sometimes I feel like that tangled mess of tired threads of life and death. And sometimes I feel pretty weedly like some of my stems are broken, like, uh, like I need to be watered, feeling a little dry, and it gives me hope to have an orchid around. It reminds me that God can bring life from what even appears like death. And so, hey sisters, God can bring beauty from the ashes. That's a verse we know and trust around here, right? God brings beauty from the ashes. So happy Mother's Day, ladies, uh, to everybody who's celebrating on this Mother's Day a world where everything is right in your heart and in your home. God bless you. We celebrate with you in that. You know, the scripture says that we rejoice with those that rejoice. So if this is an orchid in full bloom day for you, then you ought to soak it up. And take it in and know that we're rejoicing with you. Hugs and kisses to every mother who's celebrating a mountaintop day of orchids in full blossom. And yet, we also know around here that not all days are like that. Some days are valley of the shadow days, some days are dry root and tangled mess, broken stem days. Some days are yellow leaf days. And you know what? Sometimes Mother's Day can, can be a very tender time because it touches our hearts where hurts are real and where the mother that we love and cherish perhaps isn't with us or the child that we love and cherish and long for isn't with us. And, and the motherhood we longed for has yet to happen you know this is one of those kind of days as well so we got orchids in full bloom days and then we've got hey wait a minute kind of this challenged time this day is challenging sometimes you know why because families are challenging life is challenging like orchids without blooms and on days like that I'm glad that I have a place like this I'm glad that we have a place like this where we can be together as God's children and love one another and remember together that the broken place is where God shows up with amazing grace. The broken place is where God shows up with amazing grace. Maybe that's for you right now. That's our way of saying he gets us. This is the series we're in. He gets us. And on our high days, he gets us. On our low days, he gets us. On our tough days, he gets us. In our tender places, he gets us. It's like an orchid with bloom, without bloom, dry roots. He, he gets us, and what a mighty God we serve. And he helps us to face things that are not always easy to face. So we don't want to face them. You ever notice how God does that? How he uses the Bible to do what Jesus in person did You could say it like this. This is what I'm taking away from today's uh, step. Jesus gives me truth to help me get free, so I look at myself. This is the fourth step in our journey of healing. We have been exploring the 12 steps and the biblical foundation for the 12-step recovery program that we've become accustomed to in our culture. Over 200 different Uh, Issues are being addressed through 12-step programs. Now, I thought it might be helpful to us to see where did that come from and the biblical foundation for what the freedom and recovery that comes through it can be. And so let me just remind us real quickly where we've been. In the first step, we admit that we are powerless, that some part of our lives has become unmanageable. And so we said it this way, Jesus understands that I'm not okay. And so... I admit I need help. Not as easy to do as it is to say, but that's where it all begins. Second step, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And here's how we said that. Jesus believes that I matter no matter what. So I believe God can help. Step three, The program says we made a decision to turn our will over to the care of God as we understand him, and here's how we said this last week. Jesus treats me like he's my healer and my coach, so I decide to live for God. And today we're at step four, which says we made a searching, fearless, moral inventory of our lives. That sounds ominous, doesn't it? Who wants to do that? And yet, that's right there in the program. Where did that come from? Here's how we're saying it. Jesus gives me truth to help me get free. So, I look at myself. That's today's step. And as we've seen in the stories of the moms, just a moment ago on video, mothers can tend to do a moral inventory and judge themselves as coming up less when it comes to that very significant part of their lives. Does that sound familiar? To evaluate yourself and feel less than perfect? Now, if I were to ask you, who is the mother of the New Testament? Chances are you would say Mary, Mary, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, chances are you'd say that. And we read about her in the first chapter of the first book in the New Testament. But did you know that right down, it's in in the genealogy of Joseph, chapter one, book of Matthew, verse 16, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah. Motherhood is how God chose to enter our time and space continuum as Messiah, such is the breathtaking honor that God pays human motherhood. But did you know that before the New Testament ever gets to the name of Mary, it lists four other women, four other mothers? Before we ever get to Mother Mary, the Gospel of Matthew introduces us to four other mothers. And in a society, in in a time where genealogies typically Don't ever include the name of a woman, a single female name. Now, Matthew lists five. Five. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, and Mary. What's going on? Well, a little digging reveals that these mothers, like we've already talked about, were facing some hard times in their lives, tough stuff going on, confusing, tough, rough background, tough times in their life. Tamar, for instance, she's been widowed twice. Both of her husbands in sequence died. Actually two of Judah's sons that she married and both of them died in sequence. And now she's intended to marry her third son. That's the process that they follow. And she's been returned to her father's house to wait for him to grow up and marry her. But it looks pretty clear that that's not going to happen. And so she's in a very hard place. She's got no status, she's got no inheritance, she's got no social security coming her way. She's got her only path to a future is through having kids. But she's not a mother and she's not eligible to remarry. And it, because she's supposed to wait for the third son of Judah, which doesn't look like it's coming. So, in desperation, she does something. Uh, She comes up with a plan It's pretty hard for us to understand. But sometime later, after her mother-in-law dies, she disguises herself as a prostitute, full cloak, and then, long story short, her father-in-law, husband's daddy, Judah, looking for an irresponsible sexual encounter at the time, takes her to bed, not knowing that it was her. And Tamar becomes pregnant with his child. And that story is told in Genesis 38, if you'd like to get more backstory on it and details. And then when Judah finds out three months later that Tamar is expecting, and it's because she prostituted herself, he condemns her immediately and says she should be burned to death. Now, there's a double standard. But Tamar has evidence, a cord and a staff that show him to be father. Yikes. And he admits that she is more righteous than he. That's kind of a moral inventory. You see that? That's kind of a searching, fearless moral inventory where it's sometimes confusing and ugly and we don't exactly like what we see. But that's a searching inventory and that's the tangled mess of brokenness that we see in Tamar, This mother in the genealogy. Now, where's the orchid blossom? Well, you ever heard of the Lion of Judah? Yes, you have. The Lion of Judah. This is that Judah, and the lion of that Judah comes from this union farther downstream. What? Yeah, Matthew's got somebody's attention. Then Rahab is the next mother. Only Rahab doesn't pretend to be a prostitute, I'm sorry about this, but it is her occupation. Joshua chapter 2 and brings us into her story and the first thing we learn is she wants out. She wants out of that life, she wants out of that past, she doesn't want to go back to it. She wants out of the way she's been living and she has a heart to help her parents, to help her siblings and to help her family and to help the Hebrew spies. And she's heard stories about how their God had brought them out of Egypt, dried up the Red Sea, how he'd conquered these kings on the other side of Jordan, and now here they are knocking on Jericho's door, and that's her town. And she knows that they've come to her town, and she believes those Hebrews when they told her that her family will be spared if she gets them in this room where the scarlet cord is descending from the window So it happens. Joshua and the Lord's people defeat Jericho. Rahab and her family are saved, and the lesson I'm taking from that is that we see God meets us right where we are, even if where we are is on the edge of propriety. I mean, it's right there in the genealogy in the first chapter of the book of Matthew. Later, Rahab the Canaanite marries Salmon, a Jew, Tradition says he was one of the spies that she had hid that day. And they bear a son. Guess what his name? They call him Boaz. Boaz, he grows up to be a righteous and godly man. Reread his story in the book of Ruth, who happens to be, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, the next woman that we read about in this genealogy. The next mother. Boab marries Ruth, Matthew chapter one, verse five. She's a gentile Moabite, who is the ancient enemies of the Jews. She's also a widow, but she has not compromised her sexual purity in the story. In fact, she's chosen to follow Israel's God because of her mother-in-law. Her name's Naomi. Naomi lived transparently in her anguish, in her joy, and in her pain in front of her daughter-in-law, in in front of Ruth, so that Ruth now is able to feel and see and hear what a relationship with God looks like when you're going through such pain. Even in its confusion. And she comes into her own relationship with God. So maybe that's part of your story, that a family member or a friend or an in-law helped you see what it looks like to deal with the difficult place. And so together they share this grief, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Their tangled mess is woven with threads of death. But as Ruth follows Naomi's God and takes her mother-in-law's advice, imagine that. She takes Naomi's advice. She meets and marries Boaz, and then the child that she bears, wait till you hear this. Oh my goodness. The child she bears is the grand the grandfather to King David. You ever heard of him? What an awesome blossom. <laughs> right out of that mess. This amazing defiant beauty from God. This is incredible. And of course, David grows to become God's choice for king, but then what's his story tell us? He makes a very ungodly, unkingly kind of decision and chooses to take and seduce another man's wife. Ay, ay. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. She's listed right here Uriah, Uriah's wife. Uriah was one of David's finest generals. And yet David puts him in a battle where he's sure to be killed, and the child from that adultery also dies. It's not the king's finest hour. It's like a tangled mess of jumbled confusion, and and we're reading it right here in Matthew chapter one. It sounds kinda like a searching, fearless, moral inventory, doesn't it? Where skeletons are being uncloseted right here in the story and finding the light of day. Now, David had trouble facing this. He didn't want to talk about it. And, uh, and he had trouble facing what he's done, so God sends a preacher whose name was Nathan to help him find his way through a personal searching and fearless moral inventory. Second <laughs> Samuel chapter 12. And David's been in denial about it, he's been hiding it, He's been hiding from himself, perhaps Bathsheba, Uriah's wife had been hiding it as well. But you know what, God wants to bring healing. You read the story about it, you find out God is wanting to bring healing, and healing won't come unless there's a mirror in front of, and an inventory is done, and oh, that's, and yet, oh my goodness, as this happens, God's grace meets them, and guess what? comes from that union, Solomon the Wise, the risest man on record at the time, Solomon the Wise would be born from this union. What a blossom. Somebody said the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. These stories help us remember that being a mother is not always a Hallmark card experience. And God knows that. So much so that he wrote these mothers in to his story and remind us that the broken place is where God shows up with amazing grace. And the way we say it today is that Jesus gives me truth. (sighs) Truth Truth's hard to deal with sometimes, but here's why God gives it to us, to set us free. The truth will set you free, and God's desire is to give me truth so I could get free. So what? So I'm going to look at myself. I'm going to look at myself. Okay, sometimes it's scary to look at myself. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. These stories remind us right here in the first chapter, of the genealogy of Jesus, that it's uncomfortable to look at. This. They remind us of the paradox of our flawed humanity, and we all deal with it. Try as we might, we still don't get it right. And it's written right here in the story. Yet facing the truth about our flaws can also help us find our way into God's awesome grace. In step four, Jesus can show you how flossom you are. <laughs> you like that? It's like flawed, but awesome. So it's like flossom we got all these flawed people, but God shows up and says, I'm going to use you, I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to bless you right there in the middle of your searching, fearless, moral inventory. I'm going to bring you through your tangled roots and broken stems to a place of God's grace and brilliant blossoms. You are so flossom. More on that next week but our church is here just like Jesus family tree the people in Jesus family tree showing us that your mess is where messiah will meet you this is such a comfort to me and he will bring healing and help that's what the storyline is here you know that why does this matter because some of us come from some pretty rough places we come from some pretty tough times some of us have been facing some pretty tough times some of us were raised by parents who, who didn't know how to do it. And I mean, what baby comes with an instruction manual? And so sometimes our parents just repeat the mistakes that were made on them and perhaps don't know it. And so our commitment as a church family, if you're new to our church family, you gotta know that we our commitment is to do this together and to bring tools God biblical tools of grace and truth to help us with our kids and with our grown-up kids like you and me to be the kind of parents that can be bringing better things to life for us and for our kids because there's no perfect parent. We're all flawed. There's no perfect kid. We're all flawed. But we're flawsome, remember. Those flaws don't disqualify us from the grace of God. We're all challenged, we're all flawed. So, I mean, it's uncomfortable to admit it. But I'm thinking the comfort zone is overrated. And these stories show us that God will meet you in the discomfort and the places of grief and loss. Am I talking to somebody right now? God will meet you in the place of grief. And loss and guilt and shame and stuff that you don't want to talk about, that you don't want to think about, that you don't want to remember, especially on a day like this. And yet here it is right in the middle of this beautiful story where wounds are still tender or where calluses have made you numb. God wants to say, I got a bloom for you. I heard um, Daniel Pink speak recently at a Global Leadership Summit. I'm so glad that we're gonna be sponsoring the Leadership Summit here uh, once again this coming August. Um, In fact, next week there's gonna be a two-week discount on registration. I shouldn't chase that rabbit. Um, But I got to hear Daniel Pink at a Global Leadership Summit event where he was speaking about his new book, The Power of Regret how looking backward moves us forward. And I thought about step four. This is getting unstuck from past pain and regret and then finding our way into a better day, mining it out of that challenging, confusing mess. So here's the question. If God wanted to meet you in your place of pain, Would you be open to it if he wanted to bring you new freedom? Step four is the key. And I know I created a lot of pain for my mother. You're trying to figure out what is this, uh, what's this gotta do with Mother's Day? Don't you know by now it has everything to do with real mother? And the pain that, that some of us kids inadvertently don't even realize we're creating. For our families. And yet God says, I will meet you right there and bring you into new freedom. If God wanted to do that for you, like He did for me those many years ago, then would you be open to it? This step is about that. And here's a prayer from David, the king that we talked about a moment ago. He says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Is God inviting you to take a fourth step? Because you see, we're introduced to those women before we get, ever get to Mary's story. When it's time for Mary's turn in line, We find her, she's a young virgin. She's a young woman. She's pledged to be married. She's not sinless, but she is virtuous. There's no sexual experience or impropriety in her life, and the posture of her life is seen in what she tells the angel. When the angel says, God has a plan for you, it's going to mess with everything you've had planned for you. But God has a plan for you, and what does Mary say? I'm the Lord's servant. Be it to me according to God's word. And then from that posture of heart, the mother of our Savior would live. Whatever hardship, whatever scandal, whatever loss, whatever pain would come her way. She has given herself, her reputation, her future, her security, her hope to God. I mean, she suddenly realizes what generations of women before her never understood that Messiah would be born of a virgin. And she knew better than anyone the truth of that reality. That was a lot more than a doctrinal statement to her, it was a relationship of faith and hope and love between her and God. And, uh, and you know what? She was going to need to leave her, hand, her man in God's hands. That may be a word for someone today. She would need to trust God to be bigger than the hurts and the hardness of life to feel how even in this broken place, because her life plan just got busted up by a visit from God. And instead, her life plan would intersect his for her and become the very place where his grace would break through. And then, as one of many mothers in the bloodline that flowed from the world, Matthew chapter one, Israelite, Canaanite, Moabite, Matthew shows us that Jesus, who would one day give his blood for the world, also received his blood from the world. And he came from a family tree of sinners, but he came from God to save sinners. Matthew's showing us that motherhood isn't all sunshine and happiness, That life can be messy, hurtful, and hard, but that hard, broken place is where God will show up with amazing grace. God is bigger than that hardness and can meet us with grace there. So I want to say this. Next time you're tempted to judge yourself for not measuring up um, and you feel totally justified in judging yourself, would you just remember where Matthew started his gospel with this fearless searching moral inventory <laughs> and that he takes us through in this finding your roots tour in his genealogy and the message is simply this where jesus is involved that broken place is the is the place where god shows up with grace so what are some takeaways for today i asked the pastors on this they agreed on three here they are submit to the lord Wash myself in God's word and let grace come to my defense. Submit to the Lord. Is that what he's asking you to do today? Wash yourself in his word. Bask in the truth that sometimes doesn't feel comfortable but might just be trying to break you through and give you some freedom. And then third, let grace come to your defense. Thank God none of us are beyond God's grace. Just imagine what kind of world, what kind of place, what kind of home, what kind of family, what kind of marriage, what kind of parenting could we do if we were all believing this, that the hard place, that the broken place, is where God shows up with grace. Would you pray with me? Do it today, Lord, in our lives, in our families, in our family trees. Take us to that light that shows us that our flaws, though ugly, will not keep you from treating us as awesome and that you have a plan for blossom to grow. May it happen now as we make this prayer in your name.